guides them. You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things of Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me tonight on this very special episode is my good friend and fellow writer for Film 89, Mr Steve Amos. Hello, it's good to be back. So Steve, tonight's episode, obviously anyone listening to it now has seen the title, it's 1942, Casablanca, one of the most beloved films, one of the most important films, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It's one, of the, it's one of the most important films in film history. Yeah, I'd agree. What we're going to do tonight, we're going to talk in detail about Casablanca, but what we thought we'll give a go is we're going to do it in the style of an audio commentary. We're going to be watching the film now. If you've got the film at home on DVD, Blu-ray or digital, pause us now, put the film in, and pause us. I'll do a little countdown and then we'll all be ready to go. So, press pause, don't put your film in, and then come back. Right, okay, so if you're ready, we're going to be synchronising ours to play in 3, 2, 1. So, the Warner Brothers fanfare. That was actually composed by Max Steiner the same composer for Casablanca, he composed that particular fanfare for Warners in 1937. So it'd actually been around for about, I think, five years um, by the time Casablanca was released. Well, this um, film is so important to me that this, the fanfare and this opening scene is actually my ringtone on my phone. Wow. Yeah, Casablanca, now, it's one of those films that is sort of, it's never, I don't think, going to be held in the same regard as something like Citizen Kane, in that it's, from a technical point of view, even though it, it's a beloved classic, at the time of its release, it was literally just the next film on the Warner slate. Whereas Citizen Kane, it was Orson Welles, you know, a young, you know, director making his his first big entry into Hollywood, and he was pulling all the the, the, the tricks and stuff, you know the. There was a lot of flash and pizzazz with Citizen Kane. We we could, if we did an episode on Citizen Kane, it'd have to be about three hours long just to analyse each shot. Whereas, what a lot of people might not realise with with Casablanca, it, it literally was just another film, um, made by Warner Brothers. It, it it was just just another film in. I think they did about fifty films a year around about mm-hmm. that time. 
even you know the film's director Michael Cortese. Michael Cortese, he was kind of like a, an everyman director. Um, a lot of people have compared him to Steven Spielberg. And so some people, I think, unfairly have said he's a director that hasn't got his own style. What do you say about that, Steve? Um, well, I think he's a, he's a very workmanlike director. And I think that what you just said, the comparisons with Citizen Kane, is you've got the Orson Welles, the Wonder Kid, yeah. who they were throwing everything at and saying, well, do whatever you like. And Michael Curtis, they knew exactly what they were going to get from him because yeah. he was uh, a man of style and quality. He was not, you know, one of these auteurs that, um, like uh, Orson Welles, like um, um, John Ford or Hitchcock. But what he did, he did very, very well. Yeah, he did. And, you know, his output for, you know, Warner Brothers throughout the, the decades was, I think he made somewhere in the region of 178 films in total. Let's just go through, you know, a quick dash through his filmography. <coughs> So, films which which I'm certainly aware of. I think the first one was 1935, Captain Blood. Yes, Errol Flynn. Yeah, Errol Flynn. Absolute, so much fun. Yeah, a classic film. But when you think of Captain Blood and then um, his next Errol Flynn film, 1938, The Adventures of Robin Hood, you don't think immediately, oh, Michael Cattiz, like you would oh, an Orson Welles or an Alfred Hitchcock. No, you don't think of him as director pictures. You think of him as just all-round entertainment. Yeah. And you think of him because of Errol Flynn. Yeah, and... You know, he was making, I think in 1939 alone, he made somewhere in the region of, I think, five or six films. And then leading up to Casablanca, in 1942, he did Captain of the Clouds. Yankee Doodle Dandy was the, the film which he finished immediately before Casablanca. You know, his output was incredible. And I think he was one of these directors that you could just, you know, Warner Brothers would bring him along, point him in the right direction, give him a good script, uh, a good cast, yeah. and, you know, he'd do the rest. But I think there's an argument for what, what would he actually bring you know, with him that was making him stand out from other directors. You know, but then you've got other films like in his filmography, like Mildred Pierce. You oh, know. that's a masterpiece. Yeah. I love that. You know, going back to Robin Hood, 1938, yeah. one of my all-time favourite films. Um, I think one day we, we should definitely do a retrospective episode on that. Um, his last film, 1961, The Common Heroes with uh, John, Wayne, John Wayne. And he actually died a year later of cancer age, I think 75. So, Casablanca, um, I think the story of um, <laughs> the script of the film alone... Is a story yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it was based on an unproduced play called um, Everybody Comes to Rick's by Murray Burnett and Joan Allison, his writing partner, written in the summer of 1940, and I think the original version was set in Lisbon. Well, uh, what happened was um, um, Burnett went to visit relatives in Europe um, in the lead-up to the war. Yes, that's right. And the story is apparently that uh, at one point he actually went into the ghettos to um, smuggle money out wow. for, for the Jews who were stuck in the ghettos yeah. who couldn't come out themselves. So he went in, an American, yeah. the Nazis couldn't touch him, and he took the money and he took some prized possessions and he um, managed to smuggle them out. Yeah. And then he actually witnesses by touring France and the south of France, he managed to witness... The very um, torturous route and the you know the um, the refugees route that um, is mentioned at the beginning of the film. Yeah, because obviously a lot of what's going on in Casablanca is it's like a snapshot of you know Europe and, and North Africa and, and you know the places that sort of border Europe in the time of you know the lead up to World War Two, and obviously 
you know, at this point, we are actually in World War Two, but you know, the Americans had, you know, hadn't entered the fray. Well, the the um, film is set a week before Pearl yeah. Harbor. Yeah, and um, I think it was the day after the attack. The the, the script treatment um, that was in hand and, and handed to Halby Wallace, the producer, who many say is actually he's actually the creative force behind Casablanca. Uh, the script went through numerous rewrites. I think there were five writers of. of you know, uh, and more. Yeah, five that had key involvement, <laughs> yes. and then you know a lot more on top of that. The script then was purchased for twenty thousand dollars and was tailored into the film that we've now got. Um, writers like the the brothers Julius and and Philip Epstein, uh, Howard Koch. He was another one um, that had you know massive input. And I think we're going to come to specific examples, but there's parts of the script which are just sheer writing perfection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the day after Pearl Harbor, as you said, uh, it was picked up by a person called Stephen Koenig, yeah. who was a um, reader for Warner Brothers. And uh, I think he said that um, it was a sophisticated hookum. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it is in many respects. Hmm. Yeah. And he passed it on upstairs as they go through the departments because you know, it, it was a factory back in those days. It certainly was, yeah, it was. And um, that's how, um, you know, it was picked up by Hal B. Wallace, the producer. And the thing which a lot of a lot of listeners are going to find this this hard to sort of digest, but back in the late 30s and even into the early 40s when World War II was actually, you know, in full swing, there were still certain pockets of America which or, or were the Nazi party and their sort of nationalist approach to uh, dominance was actually seen as something admirable and something to aim for oh yeah the, um, even celebrities like uh, um, Walt Disney and um, Charles Lindbergh yeah they were very much they didn't want anything to do with the war because they thought no. that you know it, what the Nazis were doing was could be a good thing yeah and, and credit to Warner Brothers Jack Warner the head of, uh, of, of Warner Brothers he he wasn't you know going to tolerate anti-semitism in any way and he was one of you know the few studio heads that actually had the balls at the time to, to put a film out that was Quite clearly, anti-Nazi and you know, and anti-German yeah. in a way. And they were the first studio to pull out of Germany when yeah, the Nazis they were. took over. I think yeah. it was nineteen thirty-five. So we're eight minutes in now. Um, we've seen, you know, there's there's a huge variety of, of, of international cast members in this film. I think it's actually you've got Dooley Wilson and um, Humphrey Bogart. I think I think the only two key um, American actors in this film. Could be yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, the huge international cast, it, it just, it works perfectly. Yeah. And it gives you that sort of flavour of being, you know, the, for me, this isn't your typical um, late 30s, early 40s studio film. There's a, a certain exotic flavour, I think, just based on the cast alone. True, but at the same time, this is not real Casablanca. This is a Hollywood Casablanca. Oh, no, Casablanca. no, the, the, yeah, of course And it I is. think because of that, it's, it's, it's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you have a look at the check here, it's dated the 2nd of December 1941. That's right. Which is five days before Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And here we have it. Our first One of my all-time favourite moments in film, the introduction of Rick Bling, Humphrey Bogard, puffing on his cigar, a cigarette and, and playing chess. And telling the uh, maitre d' who can and who cannot come into yeah. the casino. And, of course, the man who is denied is the head of the Deutsche Bank, being a German. Yeah. Um, probably being a Nazi. Yeah, so they're putting their political stamp early on. Yeah. 
The problem I find with this film is, uh, okay, we're sitting down and we're talking about uh, I know, the film, we've already just started it. Sometimes you just you want to just sit back and, and just watch it. And watch it, yeah. 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 Um, but what we've also seen um, is the first introduction of Peter Lorre. Yeah. The, the great German actor. who From uh, uh, Fritz Lang's M. And that's one of the great performances. Yeah. You know, that's a film that could never be made in Hollywood. No, it certainly can't be. It would never be made again. It's basically a film about well, a child molester. Yes. And yeah, uh, who tries know, to um, justify? Yeah, and what what actor what this did. what actor in this day and age would would step forward and, and you know play a role like that in a major film? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Look at those eyes, Peter Laurie. Just so far apart, like out out as if you know sticking out on stalks. Well, he was so iconic. He that, was. Uh, the, even the old um, cartoons. He, he yeah, had a, a version of himself. Yeah, the, and that voice. And that voice, incredible. Yes. He's always got that sullen sort of face, like as if. Mm. You, you want to pity him. Yes, that's, exactly. that's just his, his, his default sort of look. His puppy dog eyes. Yeah. But not the cute type. No, no. No, the I've done something wrong yeah. type. He didn't really have the greatest of careers considering his talent, though, because he's often playing big bit parts. and. Yeah, I think when you when you look as unique as, as he does. Oh, yes. He's you're never going to be a Hollywood leading man. And no. speaking of leading men, uh, this was the film that Jack Warner wanted. Uh, to use to propel Humphrey Bogart into the A-list because prior to that and it's one of the reasons that there's only one or two scenes in this film where you see him wearing a brimmed hat or, or any sort of hat because Jack Warner didn't want him to wear a hat because that would associate him with the sort of um, niche that he carved for himself as a, as a, a hoodlum a tough guy and a gangster whereas this you know as, as Rick Blaine a sort of hero or, or anti-hero for, you know, for quite a bit of the film but certainly, he wanted to craft him into a you know a proper leading man. Yeah, and a romantic leading man. Yeah, well. rom- yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, I think Humphrey Bogart. I think he was born old, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. I can't ever remember you know even in his earliest films seeing him and thinking you know he he looked. Cause I, I think he's supposed to be. Is he about forty in 40 this film? Something. Yeah, yeah. And clearly, he's not. But what a film! You know, if you want to um, trying to get somebody to become a romantic leading man. What a film to do it what? in. Yeah. Probably, you know, absolutely. The, arguably, and I, I, I even take away the word arguably, the most romantic film ever made. Yeah, agreed. And so far, what we've um, we've come up against is the uh, the letters of transit. Let's be yeah, mentioned. The letters of transit. Now we're going to have yeah. to address those early on. Now, they they are probably one of the best examples of a MacGuffin that, that I can think of. <coughs> They, they they are entirely for screen purposes, yeah. screenwriter purposes. Not to be too condescending to you know those who might not know what MacGuffin you know, means, but it's basically a plot device that sometimes lacks a bit of logic, but it's there purely to act as a sort of linchpin for you know something around which the plot revolves. And in, in this case, it's these fantastical letters of transit which will miraculously allow you to travel from one you know part of the world that may be occupied by the nazis to another yeah they are the willy wonka golden ticket they are and the whole concept is just ridiculous because if they were caught by the nazis they just tear them up and be like no we've got you yeah yeah you know that's tough but at no point do we ever question that no no but then the whole politics of the film is very very simplified yeah um it, it was a very complicated very tumultuous time yeah. So uh, they couldn't portray that. Um, so 
it's a, an easy way of you know showing the the, the battle that these is, refugees yeah. had to um, face every single day. So this uh, this charming plump chap that's just walked in now in a white suit is Sydney Greenstreet, who actually had made his motion picture debut the year before, 1941, in the Maltese Falcon with. Peter Laurie and Peter Laurie and Humphrey Bogart. Bogart yes. But he'd been a stage actor for nearly 40 years. I think he'd actually first acted in 1902. Yeah, he had to be convinced um, to actually star in the Maltese Falcon yeah. because he didn't want to do it mm. originally. And yet he's got such great st- uh, screen presence. Yeah. Um, and he's got a charm about him. A Well, like a lot of characters in um, yeah. Casablanca, he's got this... Uh, you, you, you wouldn't trust him but you would like him absolutely and he, he, very sad he, he only lived another 12 years after Casablanca died in 1954 oh, sad. and you know we've we've been talking about the MacGuffin and, and Sydney Green Street and we've we've dismissed the introduction of um, of Sam Dooley Wilson Dooley Wilson who clearly you know he's not playing the piano it, it was actually uh, a pianist Elliot Carpenter mm-hmm. uh, it was Wilson's fifth film and I think he was probably cast in the part because um, Murray Burnett had actually gone into a, a bar mm. when he was in uh, Lisbon, and bearing in mind, you know, you know, this, this was back in the late thirties, and there was a, a black pianist just in there, mm. you know, in this, you know, a bar full of, you know, everyone else in the bar would have been white, one would assume, and then it, it sort of stood out to him the fact that that was so comfortably accepted in Europe at the time, whereas, you know certain parts of old America at that time where it wouldn't have been and um, there was uh, a lot of conversations about whether to hire him in the first place and yeah. um, there was uh, at one point they were wondering about whether they should have a female pianist and Lena Horne was mentioned mm-hmm. who of course was with Dooley Wilson in Stormy Monday yeah humour in this film it's just oh, it's, it's and got... just you know a simple line like yes boss as he's taking the uh, Yvonne back home. It's going to be. I think course. it's going to be very hard for us not to just sit you and quote the lines as, as we're yeah. seeing them. Now this scene here, the, the introduction of of Louis Renault to to Rick. Obviously, you know, they've they've known each other for one would assume a few years now. Yeah. But the relationship between Renault and, and Rick is, I think, for this film, just as important as the relationship between yeah. Rick and Elsa. Oh, they completely relaxed in each other's yeah. um, company. They obviously like each other company. You know, this is the first time you you don't see Humphrey Bogart smiling a lot in this film. No. And yet, when he's with his friend, yeah, friend, it's a bit of a bit of a prickly relationship between them. But at the same time, there's a lot of respect and a lot of warmth between them. Uh, Look look how suave he is. He's a suave, sophisticated, just. But the, the line coming up now, I li- I'd like to think you killed a man. It's a romantic movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to think that... Oh, um, what, what brought you to Casablanca? My help, yeah. I came to Casablanca for the waters. <laughs> the waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I, I was, was misinformed. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We, how can you not just, you know, signpost lines like that? The, the, some of the dialogue in this film is just flawless. But going back to um, Claude Rains, he is such a smooth controlled confident characters mm-hmm. and he is in a lot of his films uh, you know um, here comes Mr. Jordan or um, um, you know the Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. and yet to think he came from London yeah he came from um, he described it the wrong side of the Thames born in Clapham yeah, yeah. and 
when he spoke in his um, in his natural accent, not even his daughter could understand what he was saying. Yeah, you know, and yet you would never think he's so refined. He is, yeah. And this scene coming up now when uh, Bogard goes into the safe, uh, and you only see the shadow on the wall. Oh, it's a incredible. beautiful um, yeah, so cinematography. He, he's he's walked out of frame and. Um, even Claude Rains in the frame and you know, look at that that is just yeah the cinematographer was uh, Arthur Edison who did um, the beef, uh, the Thief of Baghdad yeah. with uh, um, Douglas Fairbanks mm-hmm. he did The Lost World the original yeah. silent version and also um, Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein wow and The Invisible Man I think with um, which I, was directed by uh, which, which starred Claude Rains yeah I wasn't aware you'd done The Bride of Frankenstein no 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 I'm thinking of it now that is yeah James Whale. Yeah, that's one of the most sort of painterly of all the the, the sort of, um, of of the horror films of that sort of yeah. period. Look at the eyes. He's always always studying Rick. Yeah. Again, he drops the name Victor Laszlo, and you know yeah. Rick is obviously off elsewhere. You know that's that's a name from his past. But Louis just studying him. Yeah, he, he's like a hunter, controlled. Sort of, yeah, yes, he, he he's dropped in the bait. Yeah, dropping bait and yeah. seeing if the prey takes yeah. it. And and he did. You know, I'd love to see it. Say, you know, I've seen every Claude Rains performance, to, but uh, of the ones I've seen, this is by far my favorite. And as I said to you before we started recording, Claude Rains in this film, it's one of my all-time favorite acting performances. Yeah. Every line of dialogue is just delivered perfectly. And you just even know, and some of the stuff he does in this film, the way he takes advantage of young girls, you know, in order to you know to get how that passed the senses. Yeah, I have no well, idea. it was we'll all get that later. Yeah. But, uh, oh. but he is just—you you can't help at the end, but like him. Yes, because exactly. in a way, he, he does become, you know, the savior of the piece. Yeah. Oh, we've talked about the script so far about how amusing it is. But when you think of the first nine minutes, we don't see Rick. Yeah. It's all about who Rick is. And now the next, yeah. uh, we've gone for another ten minutes. And all this is now, who is Victor Laszlo? And building his character. Yeah. So each of the major characters are built up before we actually see them. So we have got, to, we it builds up our anticipation. That's right. It's um, wonderfully constructed. We, we don't see enough of that these days. No. And I think you know the last time I was consciously aware of seeing a character built up before you actually see him was the first season of Jessica Jones, with um, uh, David Tennant's character, the, the the purple man, Kilgrave. You don't see him for four episodes, but by the time you do, you've learned enough about him to be absolutely terrified by him. And then when you see him, and he is just, you know, such a well-rounded character that. You know, the time they took to build him up just pays off, and it's it's exactly you know that's a good point you've raised. That it's the building up of the characters, then the introduction. Yes, we already in a way sort of have an expectation about them before we see them. And obviously, here's a bit now where they're setting up to make the arrest of Ugarte, who we find out is the one that's stolen the um, the magical letters of transit. Yeah, and we've mentioned Peter Laurie already. Well, he's not in this film a lot no, at he's all, not. and no. yet he's got such a, a big prominent role. That's right, you you, you don't forget him. And he's uh, General Strasser, um, played by Conrad Veidt, Conrad Veidt yeah. who was the synambulist in uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yes, he was, yeah. And um, Jafar 
in uh, the FIFA, yeah, FIFA Baghdad. He was, wow. Yeah. Yes, with the yes. The, now with the piercing eyes and the yes, yes, yes. I, God, oh, it's been far too long since I've seen that. That's my uh, avatar on uh, the film It is, yeah. It is, yeah. Of course it is. And check it, it yes, out. It's, it's Conrad Wright's character. This is the moment when uh, Peter Lorre knows that his time is up. He Makes a bit of a pathetic yeah. attempt to get out of these, you know. Yeah, there is no way out. But, he, you know, he does try. And, of course, where does he go? If you're in Rex, who do you go to for help? Yeah. What does he hope to achieve here? <laughs> so why do you think that uh, Rick refused to help him? Rick is, for the large portion of this film, he is a man that is looking out for himself first and foremost. Yes, he does, as we see, help people. We'll see later on with the, the rigged roulette table. But there's only so far he's going to put himself out there to help people. He's Ultimately, he is, he's about self-preservation. This, you know, this is a, a dangerous time that he's living in, a dangerous place. You know, the Nazis are on the doorstep. You know, he's... Well, the, his character is represents America. It does, yeah. Know, before the war, That's right. somebody the, the country did not want to get involved in the war. They, uh, they, as far as they concerned, you know, it was nothing to do with them. You know, it's a, a long way away. Let them sort it out themselves. Absolutely. And then by the end of the film, it's, it's not my problem. Not yeah. only are they sort of involved, attitude. but they play a, you know, a very pivotal role. Yeah. This is where we find out. A few little bit of information about Rick. Apparently, his eyes are brown. Yeah. We don't find out much more. No. <laughs> his um, background is uh, is a story that, on the one hand, you you'd like to know more, but at the same time, you wouldn't want them to make a film of it because it would just no. spoil it. That's right. I think what's left of the imagination is, is always going to be better than what they can tell you in, in a lot of cases like this. We learn enough about Rick in this film and his development throughout the film. We don't need to know the specifics of his background, where he came from, you know, what he was when he was back in America and why he seems so reluctant to ever want to go back there. Do you get that impression, Steve, that Rick really isn't bothered if he ever no. gets back to America? Yeah, we don't know why. We don't know if he's done something. As, um, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Captain there you go. Rick, Rick Blaine, American, age 37. There is no yeah. way that Rick Blaine in this film as portrayed by Humphrey Bogart is 37 no way at all is, is that man there four years younger than me Steve no 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 what's your nationality I'm a drunkard <laughs> you know, that makes him a man of the world see now like you said it's a good point you brought up there's a lot of building up of Victor Laszlo as the hero now ultimately when we actually meet Paul Heinrich's character. Do you think that he actually lives up to that reputation and his his character? You know, based on what we know about him, he is a sort of paradigm of good and virtue. But it's really hard to get that across. Yeah. And initially, I would say he's a little bit disappointing. He is. However, yeah. towards the end of the film, and especially one particular scene in, you know, the whole um, La Marseillaise scene, which yeah. we'll talk about later. Um, possibly one, I think one, of, that, I think one of the best scenes uh, in the yeah. film yeah. but I think that's when he really shines through and here we have 
the introduction of the aforementioned Paul Heinrich as Victor Laszlo and Ingrid Bergman as Ilsa Lund. Oh, we haven't mentioned yet. Which we, I know. How can we? And we're 25 minutes in. Oh, just. She was one of the most beautiful actors. She was. She was. And as she walks in, she steals a glance towards um, Sam. Yeah. And straight away we know there's something there. There's some history. We don't know what. So, born in 1915, Swedish. That that accent, Steve, is that a typical Swedish accent? There's Um, something just... It's European enough. Yes. But it's like an exotic sort of amalgamation of, of loads of different accents. Look what everything she does with her eyes. She she has oh. this thing. She looks up. She looks down. She she's got a constant sort of pensive, sort of worried look to her. And the way that she's filmed in it, there's a they use the gauze to make you know take away any blemish. Yeah. To make her look well beautiful. But if you have a look at her eyes throughout the film, it's almost as if they're on the verge of tears. Yeah. Now, like you say, one of the most beautiful actresses ever, really. I think. Yeah. She. She was quite conscious of how she looked and did have preferred angles that she would like to be shot from. And again, I think you know the lighting in this film. She's got quite uh, an angular face, and mm. you know, you know the way the shadows picks up on her, her cheekbones and everything. She's just incredible, beautiful woman. Again, look at look at Renault, always studying. Yes, yeah, he is a hawk. He is, and he does so much acting with his eyes alone. And then on top of that, you've just got the fact that everything else, the body language, just the, the charm, the voice, it, it, flawless performance. They put it on the bill. I tear yeah. up the bill. He's an opportunist. He's, he's, ta- he's taken Casablanca, every and you know Rick's bar, and everyone there. You know the the the, the women that he sort of. You know, blackmails into sexual favors. He, he's just taking everyone for a ride you know, and he's, taking advantage no of the situation. To, he's no different to all the black markets he has. They got absolutely. Yeah. 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 Now he's playing the charm on. He doesn't stop moving throughout the film. He's always. I think in a way he does actually steal a lot from the other actors because every scene yeah. is in. He's, he, you know, apart from the you know, the ones with Humphrey Bogart, just look at him in there. The little look he gives Ilsa. Yes, and, and ah. he, he's he's not even looking at um, the, you know, the, the two men at yeah. all. Whereas in comparison, Paul Heinrich, he's very stiff. He's very stoic and you know rigid. But this scene is good versus evil. It is, and Claude Rains is looking at the, at the right. beautiful woman. Yeah. I'm not sure how he says that um, we're under your authority. I'm, I, I'm not sure how accurate that would be with the Vichy government. Yeah, you know, I know the, they were semi-autonomous, but then right. take away the autonomous part. I think. Yeah, Casablanca, North Africa, um, in, in World War Two. At, at this point, not a- occupied by the Nazis, but the Vichy government was set up and were basically heavily influenced by the Nazis and they, they it was sort of like a, a government they put in place to control oh, this gu- part of the world. Yeah, yeah they would absolutely now when I look at this woman as she starts singing she's got this uh, Spanish guitar and I thought initially she was Spanish mm. and yet later on she will be singing the Marseillaise yes 
And there's a couple of scenes later which you, it makes you realise how many different people are here, yeah. how many different nationalities. Yeah, it's just a big melting pot of, of, you know, that's why you say it's got a very exotic feel to it. There she is again. Yeah. The, the, look at the way the shadows play on her face. The eyes. The shadows on people's faces is is important throughout because if you ever look at uh, uh, Victor Laszlo, he has very rarely got any shadows on his face when they film in him. Yeah. And yet, if you look at um, Bogey, mm. a lot of the time, half his face is in shadow. Yeah. Because... You know, Laszlo is this shining example of um, goodness and and light in this in this dark yeah. time, whereas uh, uh, Rick, can we trust him? Mm. We don't know. Yeah. And I suppose originally the audiences we know him now because he's on Fear Yeah. But the audiences back in um, 1942 and 43, they yeah. wouldn't have known him as much. They would have known him for gangster films. And that could have painted the way that they yeah, look at it. because it could have been typical yeah. casting. And they, they, they might have thought, of, yes, he is one of these, you know, yeah. he is going to double cross him in the end. And you, you mentioned then, Steve, when you said 1942 and 43. Now, everyone thinks the Casablanca is a film that, you know, you think it's a film from 1942, but it was actually released in New York City, November 26, 1942. It didn't have a general release then in the United Kingdom and the United States until January the 15th, 1943, in the UK. And January twenty third, nineteen forty three, in the US. So, it's one of those films that sort of straddled years. So, which is why we chose to do it now because, it, effectively, it is seventy five years. Seventy five years. Yeah, seventy five years old. Well, you know, I'll I'll go on the general US release or the UK release, but yeah, you know, it made in nineteen forty two. But one could argue that you know it's a film that was released to everyone and, and everyone saw it in nineteen forty three. And how was that for a turnover? You know, they, they read it for the first time. They read the play for the first time the day after Pearl Harbor yeah. and at the end of 1941. Yeah. And then 11 months later... The film's out. It's out. But, you know, that that's what the Hollywood machine was like at the time. It was a machine, which is why there were so many writers brought on board. There was no ego. There wasn't a writer saying, hang on, I'm not going to have someone else touching my script. If there were issues with the script with, with regards to the level of humour, with regards to certain characters that needed fleshing out, and if they were, were struggling to get that done with the writers that were on at the time, they would just bring in someone else. Yeah. Just like if you're, you're building you know, an aircraft and you've got, you're going to bring in different mechanics who have different specialties. Yeah, and, and the writers weren't even allowed on um, stage yeah. when they were filming. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Play it, Sam. The famous line. Everyone says, play it again, Sam. Yeah. It, it, it's play it, Sam. And of no. course, the story is that Max Steiner didn't yeah. like this song. No. It, he wanted his own composition. Well, yeah, it? because if, if he had made his own composition, I think this song was an existing song at the time, as yeah, time goes standard, by. Yeah. A standard, as they called it. And, you know, that was the film that was playing when the, when the film was being filmed. And then later on, Max Steiner's plan was he was going to compose his own song. And then it would get released, it would, it would play, and he would get royalties, you know, until, until the day he died. But whether it, it was the studio heads actually just, you know, tricking him. But by the time he came to recording, they said, well, look, we can't do these scenes again with the song playing in the background because... Ingrid Bergman is now doing another film and she's cut her hair. Yes, yeah. Now, whether that's true or not... Uh, for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. Which she had an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Either way, fair play to Steiner. 
um, once he was told that he wasn't going to be composing his own song, you know, he completely embraces this song. There's loads of light motifs where he sort of integrates the song into yeah. the score throughout the film. And there it is. Rick. <laughs> and Sam makes and a quick getaway. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't even got time to process the fact that he's he's seeing that you know the girl that we later find out, you know, just left him standing there in that mm. you know rainy train station in Paris. Um, Paul Henry in the background. He's, his face is almost expressionless. How it do is. you play that? It is. How do you play? You know, yeah. y- your wife. You're in a, a club with your wife, and yeah. it's just a strange man has just come up, and they've just introduced each other as if they've known each other for a long time. And thinking back on what I was saying, though, I didn't. You know, I don't mean to sort of put down Paul Henry's performance in this film, but I think it is actually in a way better the fact that he does come across as slightly wooden. Because if he was any stronger character, you'd have too much to and fro in between. You know, you've got. Humphrey Bogart, Claude Rains, you know, as the two main male leads. And you know, do we need another strong character there? No, no, you're no. right. You're right. But Paul Henry didn't actually like this, did he? No. No, no. Even throughout, um, you know, for the years after this, he 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 didn't like it. He didn't like the script. Mm. He didn't like his performance. Maybe, well, again, yeah, maybe it's you know, that that's why I think people do pick up on it. The fact that you know, the main players, he is certainly the lesser of of the uh, certainly of the four main players. Can you imagine what um, this film would have been like if uh, the original cast of Ronald Reagan, Ronald and Reagan, oh, and Anne Sheridan? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Reagan definitely not. No. I can't imagine anyone else playing Rick Blaine other than Humphrey Bogart. He just completely owns the role. Same with Claude Rains. And again, I think also with um, with Ingrid Bergman as Ilsa. It, say, for example, you swapped her out with with Lauren Bacall. Mm. It's going to be a completely different role. Well, they needed but, somebody but, European. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, but Bacall, you know, just to use an example, just brings so much sass to a role, whereas there's a bit of detachment, I think, with Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, yeah, she's a good girl. She is. Whereas um, Lauren Bacall would uh, just sex Yes, she would, yeah. yes. But um, Anne Sheridan did actually play Ilsa mm-hmm. on uh, the uh, theatre, the Lux Theatre production, which was on the radio. And I don't know if we've ever seen any of the uh, the remakes in the TV series based on Casablanca. Uh, there, was a, there was a series, wasn't there? Um, yeah, back in, I think it was 83, and Rick was played by David Soule. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah, and uh, Scatman Crothers played Sam. Oh, no, that's that's good casting. Yes, but uh, anyway, the, the opening titles was, you must remember this, him singing that. Yeah. And he, he is no... No, no. Dewey Wilson, no. And um, it also had a uh, small cameo by um, one Ray Liotta. Wow. I've seen Carrot Blanca, the Looney Tunes version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carrot that, that, Blanca. Carrot Blanca. That's, that's one of the, the, the other versions of Carrot Blanca that I have seen. I think this is one of the only scenes in the film where the, I think the light in the contrast looks a little bit off. Yeah? Yeah, it, it looks a bit... You know, we're watching this on Blu-ray, but apart from you know the, the sort of light elements, the you know, the suit and whatever, the, 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 I think the scene is a little bit too dark. And what, what's that? The, the searchlight outside. You know, it now, why me of, would you have a searchlight shining on a building? Well, it's there. It's, it's it reminds me of the eye in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's Sauron! Yeah, looking, yeah. You know, and 
whenever you go to scene outside, it's there. Yeah. You can just see it passing. What's it looking for? I think it's just representing the it's fact just that it. they'd, uh, yeah, they'd always been watched. It's just for atmosphere, I think, as well. Yes, yeah. Now watch that. It's 1941 you know, like, Casablanca. What time is it in New York? This is the only sort of bit in the film where he seems to have any harking back to New York. Yeah. I bet they're asleep in New York. And here it is. One of just many classic lines in Casablanca. Of all the gin joints in all the world, she walks into mine. He's feeling low at this moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, he's, yeah. she's walked back into his life now and just pulled the rug from under him, and, and you know the bottom's fallen out of his world. You know, the cool, composed, always in control mm. Rick has just been destroyed by the fact that this woman, who he's still absolutely in love with, has just walked back into his life with her husband that he thought was dead. Yeah. And not only that, but earlier on we were saying about how happy he was with um, Louis. Yeah. And he was obviously impressed by Victor Laszlo. Mm-hmm. And now Victor Lazo comes in with a woman that uh, broke his heart, as yeah. we will find out in a few moments now. So we're going to... Such gonna, an iconic shot, though, isn't it? Yeah, of him just... Poor guard with a cigarette. Yeah, and as, as keen followers of Film 89, we'll see that was one of our shots of the day, uh, I think, a few months back. So now we segue into the the Paris scene. There's a shot of uh, the Champs-Élysées, a, a process shot then of Ilsa and, and Rick in the car. If you have a look at it as well in the background, even though it's processed, there's a dissolve in the background, yeah, which another, seems to dissolve. suggest that they knew that it was it's false. Yeah. They know the audience knows it's false. In the same way as Tarantino used those process shots in Pulp Fiction with mm. um, Butch Bruce Willis's character, where yeah. he's driving away from the fight yeah, yeah. that he's he's just um, which he was supposed to have thrown, and it's an obviously poor pro- process shot, but I think it's done for a reason. It's done consciously. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you might be right. The, the same it. thing there because hey, you've got a you've got the Champs in the background, then you it dissolves without the foreground changing into a, a countryside scene. You know, I've got to say, Steve, I don't think I've ever noticed that until now, which is why this film is just a timeless classic because you can just watch it over and over again, and every now and again you'll just find something about the film that you've not noticed before. You see um, Ingrid Bergman in these scenes and. You can see why men fell for her. Oh my God, she's you know. just... She look looks like she's smile. in love for the first time. Yeah. So when's the first time that you can recall seeing Casablanca? I'm not going to ask you to tell our listeners your age, Steve. You are <laughs> a little bit older than me. I am. We're, we're, both, we're both the, uh, the wrong side of 40. We are. But when's, when's the first time that you saw Casablanca? What's your earliest memory of the film? Um, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember that when, when Harry Met Sally came out, which references this film quite yes, a lot. Yes, it does, quite a bit, yeah. Um, I knew what they were talking about. I think that was 1989. Yeah, it was 89. Um, yeah. So I knew I'd seen the film before then, but When Harry Met Sally was the film that made me think, I'm going to dig this out and mm. watch it again and perhaps take it a bit you know, more seriously than whatever it was. And I don't know when I saw it before. I've, I've that's a, when my, my love of this film was, uh, yeah, was born. This is one of those films I saw when I was quite young. My grandmother... I, definitely would have made me watch Casablanca she's she's quite prominent in my sort of film education my grandmother my mum and uh, you know they, they were the ones who introduced me to the classics you know I always remember the first time my mum I must have been about 10 years old and she actually made me watch One Afternoon The Searchers Ooh, she wow. just said 
watch this film, you're going to love it. And it, it, it's my enduring memory of that film is the first time I saw it. And I think it was pretty much the same with my grandmother. That's a heavy film for such a It is, age. it was, and yeah. It, it, it's it, a heavy it, film It now. is a tough old film. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff in that film that maybe isn't really suitable for children. A lot of adult themes, but it you know it made its mark on me. Well, it's such a beautiful film, incredible I, film. I, I think if you've got an appreciation of of the image, it doesn't even have to be a moving image, but just the image itself. Well, it's just that, it, that it, image of, of um, John Wayne just framed in that doorway. Yeah, and it, it's just stuck with me. Holding his arm just like yeah. Barry Harry Jr. And there are the, the scenes in this film which have got exactly the same, you know, left the same impact on me. And um, this scene's now in um, Paris, isn't it? The the um, place where they they reference this in La La Land. Didn't she, she say she pointed to the balcony and said this is where they filmed yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the French scenes. Obviously, this was all filmed on the Warner backlot, and the only exception being that the airport scenes were filmed actually at the old Van Nuys Airport. You know, film filming on on, on a on a backlot or a soundstage back in these days, it, it was commonplace, and. When Warner Brothers are churning out 50 films a year, they're just simply not going to be able to, you know, have expensive location shoots all the time. You know, that I think well, it's easier to control when you're on the black, yeah. It, it was just an average budget film at the yeah. time, plus you can it, reuse um, state. I mean, a lot of these uh, sets were used in other films like No Voyager, which yeah. has just been filmed beforehand. You know, even on this release, Casablanca wasn't a massive hit. It, you know, granted, you know, it was actually um, nominated and then later won Academy Awards for Best Picture and Best Director for Michael mm-hmm. Curtiz, but it wasn't a box office smash. You know, it, it wasn't a film that was forgotten for years. You know, in the, the same way the Citizen Kane was, and then you had the, you know, I think it was sort of resurrected in in the the, the French New Wave when you know a lot of mm-hmm. you know the prominent French directors sort of pushed the film forward as being incredibly influential on them. You know, it's not that you know Casablanca had that sort of, um, you know, you know, more slow, quiet build-up because it, you know it won Best Picture that year, yeah. but it, you know it wasn't a massive runaway hit. Do you think this um, cafe they didn't know is actually owned by Rick as well? I don't. I, no, I, I, I've never. I've often wondered because yeah. he seems very comfortable with it, mm. it uh, and of course, you know, he goes. On and uh, opens up another one in Casablanca. Yeah. So you think that where does he get the experience from? Mm. Ten, years ago. Ten years ago, she was probably still in school wreck. Yeah, she had a brace there of teeth. Shows how young she was. Do you? Clearly, there's a, there's a big age gap between these two. Do you buy them as a couple? And I, as I'm asking that question, I already know the answer. Yeah, of <laughs> but, course. Yeah. But why do we buy so easily the fact that this guy who's much, much older than than this, than, than Ilsa, is just, you know, that he will be the love of her life? I don't think that his age is an issue. You know, because when you say, how old do you think she is in this scene then? Say 22? Yeah, it's the 20s, yeah. He would be then, it'd be about, um, this was a couple of years before, so we're talking about what? 13 years older. Well, so he's... A huge gap. You know, the actual actor's age he was born 1899 she was born 1915 so there's there's about 16 years between them but we believe it because of the characters yeah and we see a part of his character here now which is he he is so emotional 
and I think that's why he shuts down completely. You know, later when they um, break up, but at these scenes, you know, he, he's so happy. He wants to marry her. He he, he doesn't care who gets ma- uh, marries him, even if it's the um, conductor on the yeah. train. And I think See, this no, is the scene. Yeah, this she is knows. the point where she's just found out that you know her husband, who she thought had, had died. In, you know, the hands of the Nazis is actually still alive, but she. Do you think it's right for her character that she doesn't tell him and she just effectively stands him up later on? Well, it's, it's a bit. It's a bit of a bit of a shit thing to do, really, isn't it? It is, but she's very, very young. Yeah, and I also think that she's a very. Um, she goes on the instinct when it comes to romance. I think, and there's a couple of scenes uh, moments later where she shifts from one to the other. Yeah, depending on what's happening. And she doesn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she says to him. You, you've got to do the thinking for both of us. That's right. Because... Yeah, that's one incredible line. And, you know, bit of a shit thing to do. She's... Yeah, Rick, you've got, to, you've got to think for all... In fact, she says for all of us, doesn't she? Mm. For, the, for the both of us, for all of us. Because obviously you've got um, Victor Laszlo, which he needs to consider as well. She knocks over this uh, champagne glass for you, which is the last time they were together yeah. when they were... Uh, back in France and in the scene when we go back to um, the cafe now that's the first thing that Rick does is knock over a glass again I've never noticed that before uh, uh, and then Sam comes picks it up and as soon as he picks it up she comes back into his life wow see that's the beauty of watching a film with someone else like that and you know like we're doing now I think that's two things already which I've not picked up on I've seen I must have seen Casablanca maybe 10 12 times at least There's something about the um, departure scene in a uh, train station. Isn't Besetting it? in the rain in the as rain. well. In the rain, with a letter, with a, yeah. you know, the ink running. Always reminds me of the ending of uh, Back to the Future 2, with the letter in the rain from Dark. <laughs> yes. Not that I'm comparing uh, Back to the Future 2 to Casablanca. I love the film, but, you know. <laughs> he is broken now. Broken man. And this, yeah. the look he gives... There you go. Look, the coat's dry. Con- one one of the continuity errors that, uh, yeah, it's still it doesn't pick me and up. I've never film. noticed that. No, but, yeah, there you because go. His his face is wet, yeah, but the yeah. coat, as we saw, it was it was wet, it was dark, and then it's completely dry and it's a lighter colour. And there he goes. He knocks the glass over, which I've never noticed. Yeah. Is a sort of callback to yeah, and then a champagne glass there you over. Go. So Sam picks it up now, and then in a second we'll have Ilsa walking through the door. There she is. Yeah, look at that shot. That's something that you know these directors and you know, they think things through so much detail, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time it's subconsciously. I think that yeah. we we're picking it up, but we don't realise it. Look at the cinematography, the way shadows are used. Now the earlier scene in the bar, did you see what I mean? That there's a, there's a difference now. It's like the lighting mm-hmm. is much sharper in this, this it is, scene. Yeah. Again, I'm just finding myself just transfixed on, on the dialogue. Richard, dear, I'll go with you any place. He's so condescending, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. It, it's because he's just so wounded and hurt. Well, it's that look um, when he gets on the train. He just, even yeah. though Sam is pulling him, and even though he knows it's over, he looks back, hoping to see her one more time. Yeah, that's but how she, much she meant for him. It's a bit of a, you know. I've always had a bit of a problem with, you know, 
he didn't do anything to deserve that. She should have just come clean. But then we wouldn't have had, you know, the the film we've got now and the story wouldn't have played out like it did. And one of the strengths of this film, I think, is that they are all flawed characters. Right, so what I meant to ask you, Steve, but we've, um, we're way past the scene, is when Ilsa walks into Rick's bar, she knew, didn't she? She knew that she was going there to confront him because she knew that he was probably the only person would be able to get them letters of transit. For Rick, it's an unexpected encounter, but I think she's engineered this whole thing. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I think she's done it initially out of a, a duty and a loyalty to save Victor, to get him you know, out of Europe. And I think she's used Rick, and it's only when she's back with him that the old feelings she's had for him are sort of resurrected and then she starts to go down this path of doubt where I think you know if, if Rick had carried on the ruse that he looked to be playing she would have gone with him and she would have left Victor behind potentially to his well I, I've often wondered this because when he, she first walked into that room and she looked at um, Sam is that the moment she realised that you I know, used Rick to think that here, or yeah because I mean, the, the place is called Rick's yeah. Cafe American. I, I have no doubt now that so, she, she went in with the intention of, of using Rick to get what she needed. Not okay. in a bad way, but just in a, in a way that, you know, a survivor's instinct of... Yeah, maybe it wasn't, um, she didn't want to manipulate him, but she just thought, if anybody can help us, he can. Yeah, yeah. He's so broken. He is completely broken. Yeah. And not in a way that you ever think is pathetic or... Yes, it is. there is melodrama in this film. There's a massive part of, of Casablanca, but not in a way that I've ever thought it holds the film back and it ages it at all. No, it's, the melodrama is not overwhelming at all. No. I love the fact that they're talking about, you know, where are these letters of transit? And uh, it's on Sam's piano. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we, we saw him put put the the letters under the, you know, lift the piano lid and put them in, didn't we? Or is that later when you retrieve no, them? No, we, we've, we've seen saw them, him. yeah. We, so we, we know where they are, but at the yeah. same time... I... And then when uh, Louis finds out later, enough. you see his face and they oh, that's an obvious... Obvious trip, yeah. Look at the costume, and look, look at that. That is smart. And again, it's black and white film, but I would never want to see this film in colour. No. They did do a colourised version, didn't they? Oh, it's just wrong. Oh, yeah. Just don't... I think that what she's wearing now, you could see women wearing it these days and it wouldn't, you know, no. it would just look classy. She just oozes class, look, she's not even saying anything. And, no. you know, the, pre- the screen presence is incredible. You know, there's, I, of that era, she's she's not my favourite actress of that era. No? No, no, I, you know, like I said, I, I do prefer Lauren Bacall because I just think she's got far more oomph and sort of just charm to her. Rita Hayworth. Oh, Absolute. Oh, oh my God. Gilda. Just Rita Hayworth. <laughs> that moment in Gilda when she, when she uh, flicks her hair, flicks her hair back. Yeah. Oh, my God. Iconic. She's just yeah. beautiful. But no, I, I think Ingrid Bergman was an underrated actress. If you see some of the films that she made with her husband, um, uh, Rossellini, yeah. Roberto Rossellini, um, Stromboli is a fabulous performance by her. No, I've never seen it. Oh, it's a brilliant performance by her. Um, you know, the film she made with Hitchcock, she made Spellbound in 1945 with uh, Gregory Peck, which I just don't I don't think that's 
That, that, that would never be in my top 10 uh, Alfred Hitchcock films. It's more of an experiment than It is, else. it is. Yeah. And then it's, it's, it's the, yeah, the, the, the psychoanalysis sort yeah. of thing, it just doesn't work for me. It's dated. It, it, really, yeah. it really has. Whereas Notorious oh, is that's, that's ma- ma- yeah, much better film. And before this, she made um, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. which she was miscast. I, well, she, she puts on a Cockney accent. No, and no, I, you know it's it's up there with Dick Van Dyke. Really, I don't it think is, I've seen it. it. Is, yeah, I mean, she she looks the part, and mm. you can see that she's really really trying. And that was made before accent. Casablanca. It was yes. Wow. Spencer Tracy. Hmm. And she was brought over to America by David Selznick um, because she was um, starred in a few Swedish films initially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Intermezzo she made it in yeah. Sweden, and then they remade that, and Selznick uh, brought it over to America. To um, so we haven't decided whether he committed suicide or died whilst trying to escape. It's <laughs> lines like that that are just so he says them with such glee, but you know they're really dark. Uh, another visa problem has come up. Yeah, and what does he do? He goes straight to the Straightens mirror. Straightens his tie because, and yeah, clearly... If you look at General Strass in the background, you can see a smile on his yeah. face. He knows he's what he's com- doing. He's a complete shit, if you think about it, but, you know, you just can't help but love him. Well, Conrad Veidt, um, apparently, he would do- donate his salaries to help the war effort. Yeah. And um, I think he lived in um, England for a while because he wanted to be as close mm. to home as possible. Well, yeah, but... He- you think about this film, this film is made in the height of World War Two, and, and Conrad Veidt's a German actor. Yeah. So. Well, we haven't mentioned all the um, immigrants that are actually in Absolutely, film. yeah. And the fact you that, know. you know, yes, this film was filmed in America. But, you know, there are loads of, loads of, uh, of, of Jewish immigrants in the film. The, 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 the old couple that we see in Rick's bar. Yes, we are coming to that. Yeah. Carl, the you know the the, the, the bar manager. The bar, yes, Sasha. Yeah, Sasha. Yeah, yeah. The Sasha Russian. Is Sasha Russia. R- Russian? Yeah. yeah. Yvonne, the French girl. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, what a beautiful girl she is! Absolutely she stunning. And she only died about a year or so ago. Really? And um, I think the Russian Mad- Madeleine, the, Madeleine Lebeau. She was yeah. yeah. She was French. Yeah, and the uh, French foreign minister you know, said that to, she'll always be the face. Look, Steve, Madeleine Lebeau, nineteen twenty-three to two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. Oh my God! So yeah. she was, you know, barely out of her teens. Yeah, when she made this. Casablanca. Yeah, yeah. The French foreign minister what? said she will always be the face of German re- um, of French resistance. Yeah, yeah. And um, we'll, we'll know why, you know, during the, the yeah. Obviously, the upcoming the, the Marseille scene. scene. Incredible. Now, like I said back. Um, Earlier on, Steve, this is one of the only scenes where we see Rick wearing a hat when he's out and about in the streets of uh, Morocco. Right, Sydney Green Street, right, he's not native to Morocco, he's wearing a fez. <laughs> yeah. But at no point do you ever question it. No. And for some reason, you've got this uh, very hot, humid climate where you're going to have a lot of flies. Oh. But they only ever seem to affect Sydney Green Street. Yes. He's there. Which he's adds to the sort of sleazy sort of... Um, yeah. uh, and the scene where you've got the, the, the street trader knocking it down from 700 yeah. francs down to... He's basically giving it a away. A small discount. A small discount for a friend of Rick. And then oh. a special friend of Rick. Yeah. We know what he means. Yeah. 
that's a wonderfully um, written scene. This is. Yeah. yeah. I'm. You can tell me now. I'm reasonably sober. He he can't help himself. He's he's coming at it quite firmly, isn't he? He's he is, yeah. He's he's hurt, and I think you know he. Well, he's he's quite aggressive to her. At the he moment, is, yeah. You know, and not, she's not seen the, but the real him at the moment, uh, or what she she's done it to him. Absolutely, um, yeah. But there's a line she says to you about. Um, you know, we'll, we'll remember what you had in Paris, but not how you were last night. And that's reflected later when he says, we'll always have Paris. That's right, yeah. Someday you'll lie to Laszlo. And she does, doesn't she? Yeah. She does lie to him. Which makes it all the more heroic at the end, where Rick says to Laszlo, no, she actually loves you. She sort of yeah. used me to, to help you when that wasn't true she was actually she'd fallen back in love with Rick and would have happily gone with him leader of all illegal activities in Casablanca <laughs> wow yeah the prince of thieves Signor Ferrari an Italian name yeah we're in affairs. We're in affairs, yeah. And then you've got Victor Laszlo, who is so refined and so cool, and yet he's got this scar on his face, yes. just to remind us that he's been through hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he spent however many years in a concentration camp, and he came up with quite a stylish scar above the eye. Yes, and I suppose that um, slightly change of colour in his hair, in his quiff, is because of the stress. Yes, of course it is, yeah. <laughs> I must have had a very stressful life. <laughs> I've just lost mine. <laughs> oh, See, look at the, look at the the, the close-ups now. The, yeah. Do you think he? Do you think he would ever leave her? No. 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 And that's why I love because the fact that he's trying to say yeah something always came up. Well, no, it's not. It's just yeah. as much as you are all for your cause as you should be. You know, you, he does. He loves this woman more than anything. And th that scene, even though it's a very short scene, is the closest we get to seeing them as a married couple and the familiarity. And, I, yeah. And I buy, and I buy them as a couple. Yeah. But then when you see the way Ilsa is with Rick, you, you think that, yeah, they'd, they'd have a perfectly good life together if it wasn't for the fact that she has met the, the, the love of her life. But... They, 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 they're not meant to be and then we've got the, a real parrot in the background the shadow of a real parrot because mm. originally they wanted a, uh, a prop so here we find out now or, or uh, Ilsa and, and Victor find out that, that Rick has probably still got the letters of transit or, or you know has, has got them because Ugarte gave them to him yeah, it's an open secret in Casablanca now, isn't it, that um, Rick has yeah. them. And here he is, Sydney Green Street, what's he do? Swat and a fly. Swat's a fly. The end of every scene. <laughs> and there we have vultures, vultures everywhere. Oh, the, yes. 
The pickpocket. The pickpocket. And of course, now when he bumps into Carl, yeah, the, <laughs> the first thing Carl does is frisk himself down to make sure that he's still got everything where he should be. Oh, that's great. It's great. Yeah, it shows that it's a small community as well. Yeah, it is. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Everyone knows, you know, who they need to be weary oh. of. And there's the guitar player, the look of disdain oh, that she gives the, on uh, the Germans as they will pass. Here, here we're building up now to, is it the, the big scene? The big musical number? <laughs> and now see, it, we, we've had far too long without, without Louis. Claude Rains. Claude Rains, so he's, yeah. he's back now and he's just lighting up the screen. Every time he opens his mouth, I don't even want to talk, I just want to listen to what he's saying. Well... Basically, uh, Rick, have you got those letters of transit? He just doesn't, you know. Well, the, the, um, Rick is here now because he knows that the, they go through his apartment, and um, Louis basically says, "Yes, I've told him to be especially destructive." <laughs> <laughs> just, you yeah, know, I love you've him. got to put on a good show for the Germans. He's great. No, he's on. He's on. So, someone I wrote in my notes about about. Uh, Louis and and, uh, and Rick both both like and respect each other, but there's always an undercurrent of self-preservation and mistrust. Rain's ex exploitation of women makes him less than savory and caused issues. Well, it did cause issues with the Breen office at the time, yeah. because they they were asked not to imply the fact that um, you know th th this man in charge of law enforcement was taking advantage of of, of young girls for sexual favors, because. I think that the code at the time prohibited any overt mention of, of sex. Certainly sex outside of wedlock was just a complete no-no. You couldn't even hint at it. So I think the way it gets a lot of these things across subtly is, is really well done. Well, that's one of these um, uh, paradoxes, really, because sometimes when you restrict what a uh, writer can do, it makes them more creative. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Think of um, all the... Um, double entendres in something like um, double indemnity. Yes. They weren't allowed to mention sex whatsoever. So no. what they do, they lace the um, whole yeah, script. It, yeah, with double with entendres, sex. and you can't then, you know, if it's not overt, then they're not breaching the code. Yeah. Now we've mentioned uh, Lauren Bacall. You know, you know how to whistle. Yeah. You put your lips together and blow. Oh, yeah. How did these censors not pick these? They must have been so innocent. Oh, and this is that wonderful scene with the two yes. elderly couple. Who clearly escaped uh, yeah. Nazi-occupied uh, Europe. But how do you remind a audience who's watching a film, which is all in English, that these characters are actually speaking different languages? Mm. And they do it in a way which is extremely am amusing. Yeah. You know, watch, watch, yes. which watch? Six watch. Yes. <laughs> And of course, Carl, who obviously. Well, they actually say that. So we, we need to practice our English because when they get to America, they, yeah. you know, they're going to be speaking. You know, they're going to need to speak the language. Oh, ten watch, not six watch. Such much. <laughs> yeah, so, of course yeah. they will. Yeah. I know we're going to see one of uh, Louis' uh, exploits. Yes. And that's she's um, John be, um, Page. She was the stepdaughter of um, Jack Warner. She was, yes. Who didn't want her to be in the film. No. So she auditioned herself and it was... She's, uh, she's playing Michael like a, Curtis. A Bulgarian, isn't she? I, I think she was... Is it Bulgarian, Mexican? Yeah, I think she's... I think, well, no, I think or, in the know, film she's playing a, a, Bul a Bulgarian I'm sure woman. she's um, mixed... Um, yeah. 
But she was only 17 when she made this. Wow. And uh, this was the only Warner Brothers film that she ever made. Well, yeah, she was... If you look on IMDb, Joy Page was born in 1924. 1924. Oh, my God. So, she would have been... What, 17? 17, yes. Yeah. And yet she says... Yeah, Bulgaria. Yeah, she says that her husband is, in many ways, so much younger than she is. Yeah. You know, how many times has Rick been in this situation here with someone yeah. you know, approaching him for help? And Well, the only reason she's here is because uh, Louis is using uh, Rick as a reference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If I sleep with him, yeah. will he give me, give me give a visa? Us the visa? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, will he keep his word? He always has. Now, wow, you could read so much into that. Mm. Rick knows that, you know, Louis a liar and a, you know, a deviant. There you go. My favourite character in the film is a liar and a deviant. <laughs> well, does that say more about me than... Wow, look at the hurt in his yeah, eyes. nobody ever loved me that much. No. The only reason, you know, the, 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 this whole scene is not about uh, the, the young Bulgarian couple. It's all about... Rick and Ilsa. Yeah. And you can see his face. So, Humphrey Bogart. Um, a few episodes back, we, uh, we we picked our favourite actors, and one of mine was, was Bogie. Would you say, Steve, that... Uh, how, how would you rank Casablanca amongst the great Humphrey Bogart roles? Oh, I think it's the greatest really? of his, yes. Um, well, it depends on how you define it. I think it's the greatest film he was in. Yes. In terms of performances, I would say perhaps um, Treasure of Sierra, Sierra Madre. I would. Or um, yeah. um, In a Lonely Place. Oh, yeah. No. Wow. There's so many good ones. Yeah. They they were probably better performances. Yes. They are you know phenomenal films. But I think that this is a perfect yeah. film. Not not to knock the Maltese Falcon. I I don't hold his performance in the same regard as I do the three films that you've just mentioned. Obviously, this being one of them. I just think he's just got far better emotional range in this film due I think to the fact that this is a, a much more romantic film yes because I, I you know this is this film is so much does this fall under the category of film noir I'd say no there, there is a there's no mystery as such there's it's far more leaning towards being a you know a drama or, or a romance or you could argue a war film yeah it, it, it's a wartime film you know, Casablanca is certainly not a film I ever think of when I think of film noir. No. Whereas the Maltese Falcon, obviously, you know, it is. There you go. And here's the bit now at the roulette table where he's telling Jan to, to bet on 22. Then he tells him to bet on 22 again. You know, it, it's a rigged casino. I wonder if that's the number that um, Louis always has to use. Yeah, yeah. In 22. It'd be, it'd be a, a magnetic uh, roulette <laughs> yeah. wheel, wouldn't it? sign another check okay yeah, Rick Carl is just watching gleefully the fact that his, his boss is you know being a saint and helping this young couple again are you sure this place is honest honest as the day is long as honest as the day is long yeah 
What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got such a good relationship with his staff he has because Sinrini is quite a hard man I know yeah he's you know, the, such a cynical man they all have great affection for him I think it's because of what he does and you know because Carl sees that he does things like this and the fact he's got to put up an exterior like he does otherwise he's, he's going to fall foul of people potentially yeah. like Renault and you know like the, the Germans who are there and Louis is um, bethrown um, by all this. Yeah, he is. He's intrigued because he's de- he's described him as a you know a sentimentalist, but he he was saying I think in a very tongue in cheek way. Uh-huh. Sasha is. Uh, <laughs> he goes up to him and he gives him a kiss on his cheeks yeah. to thank him for the wonderful thing he's done. <laughs> and look at <laughs> his eyes. <laughs> no, you give me that Carl. drink. There's a lot of drunk drink. Ha, in yeah, this if you were to play a Casablanca drinking game, where every time you see Humphrey Bogart with a fresh drink in his hand or taking a sip, if you had to drink as well, you're going to be on the floor. I think oh, absolutely. Certainly, you know, way before the film finishes. It's a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking. Yeah. Look at the smoke blowing over in the background. And we, you don't see that in films anymore, and you know, it, everyone was smoking. And we have uh, Louis just then. Tomorrow I'm going to see a good-looking blonde and I would be happy if she loses. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's a complete shit. Yes. He these people want to get away from from the, the Nazis and he's just exploiting them for sex. They really did, you think about, get away with quite a bit, knowing what the code was like back yes. then. Yes. And when I say the code, um, for people listening, I actually, I mean, you know, I mean the, the, the Hayes Code. The, the Hayes Code, yes. It was the... Um, the thing that governed uh, films being made in Hollywood at the time, it was a form of censorship and, and it was far more strict than you know, anything any generation of us have ever seen with the BBFC and the MPAA in America. Oh, it was. In fact, it was, even if they had scenes with married couples, they'd have to have separate beds. And if two of them were in the same bed, one would have to have one foot on the floor. Yeah. It even um, goes as far as like extended scenes of kissing have to be broken up with dialogue, yeah. which you, you do see in a few of the Hitchcock films. It does come across as a little bit clumsy, but... They yeah, had no, no choice. choice. They were, you know, if you had a, a long kiss and an embrace, it had to be broken up there because otherwise it would have been you know, removed at the behest of the, the censors. And every script. So I often wonder how, uh, considering this script was made up as it went along, how, you know, the censors must have been involved all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, and now we have one of the, the greatest scenes. Yeah, sorry, I, I got it wrong earlier when I said we're leading up to the, the, the big. Your musical number, you know, this is now the scene that La Marseillaise, where you've got look at that, the look on his face. Um, yeah, yeah, Louis just looking, he's wondering what it's like as if he's going to do. Yeah, everyone's got a side in this film, but he is the one that he always looks like he's he's ready to switch sides just to benefit himself. And then we have Ingrid Bergman seeing her husband going up to the band, and yes. you can see the pride La in No, it's at this point where Victor comes to the forefront. Yes. He's willing to put his he life is. on the line for a song. Yeah. I think if you take too long to question the reality of if you did have Nazis here and he was someone who had escaped their clutches, escaped from a concentration camp, they wouldn't just stand by and, and no. you know allow him to do anything like this. They they just arrest him and take him back. Yeah. Who's who is there to stop them? Exactly. You know the And then Yvonne singing 
Yeah. There's so much passion in her face. Yeah. And the tears. And, and I, I get the feeling that's not acting. No. These these are refugees Absolutely. in real life. They were they weren't acting, they were no. really, really performing. They were Because they, they were, were living in, it. Yeah. They were there in America, no, in the back, you know, in their native countries. Yeah. They were being overrun by you know a a force of evil really, not to put a finer point on it. Even now watching this scene, my hair on my back of my neck, yeah. on my arms it's just standing. And here, Yvonne, Viva la France, Viva la France. Brilliant. It's it's rousing. It is. Well, here he comes. But this is the turning point in many ways. It respects. is, yeah. But everybody's having such a good time. I've no excuse to close it. Find one. Yeah. Now I think at this point, this is one of the funniest lines in the film. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, uh, g- illegal gambling. gambling. Yeah. Oh, use your winnings. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, oh, I love it. Shocked to find the gambling is going on here. <laughs> You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Everybody out at once. <laughs> oh, Claude Rains, what? Just what a legend. And uh, got uh, the general right. now basically. What, why is he? Why is he saying? Like it looks almost as if he's he's warning her now. He's threatening her. He is. Hmm. And he's also giving her a way out, not um, for her, but yeah, he, he, he thinks wants, that there's a yeah. route into the relationship and That's right. into Victor. Because obviously through Victor. Yes, he will get to the rest of the yeah. the resistance back in in France. And um, the England women looking then. Her jaw is set. She's yeah. determined, and you can see why they're together. Mm. There's that line that Rick says, "Then he ask your wife." Yes. So cut in, and it it's just Rick completely out of control. And yet a moment later, he allows that to happen with the the Marseillaise in his um, yeah. cafe. Well, you know, and he, and he puts his business on the line. Yeah, he, he does, but at the same time, it just goes to show that he he will make a stance against the Nazis. I always find these uh, his faithful friend. In other words, the the person who's uh, following him everywhere. He's a, a useless spy because they just turn out the light for a few moments. Yeah, and he, he automatically thinks, "Oh, they've gone to sleep. Mm. I can go home now." No intention of selling him, and you know he he doesn't. I think he's still so hurt at the time that he, if it wasn't for the fact that he was so bitter, he would obviously hand over the letters mm. to Victor, so he could get out of uh, Casablanca and get away from the Germans. But he's so consumed with this this bitterness towards Ilsa that he's just, and yet at no point in the film does he consider taking it for himself. No, because like I said, he could have. there's something keeping him back. He, he, you know, he obviously at the end he stays. Now I think it was not long, not long after this, Casablanca was actually. Um, I think it was uh, overrun. Oh, and, yeah. 
Because obviously the well, um, well yes, the, because the, 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 the German the, the Germans did they did push down to, to North Africa. Um, but the Allies actually took um, Casablanca in November forty two, mm-hmm. which is why it was rushed to uh, the yeah. initial release. Yeah. Um, to catch the publicity. Yeah. And then when they were released again in January to wider public, that was mm-hmm. when uh, uh, Roosevelt and Churchill were having a meeting in yeah. in Morocco. Because we obviously... Free publicity, isn't it? Yeah, it is free publicity and it's also propaganda in a way. Yes. Um, it, incredible to think that these films were, you know, you know, the Hollywood machine kept going, churning out just you know, regular films and then films obviously which were commenting on the, the huge political upheaval in the world at the time. This is the part now she just lied to her husband. She has. When he asks her, um, did anything happen when he was in the concentration camp? Yeah. And, and she says no. She says no. I know. But what else What else can she do? It'll, it'll break him. But she, you know, she, she has got a duty to keep him strong. Yeah. You could argue he's the most important person in the film. Yes. You know, on, on the grand scheme of things. And that he walks straight past with his... Uh, yeah, his, uh, his watcher. follower, the watcher was... Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Ilsa will now go and try to uh, speak to to Rick. Right. Now, obviously, as we later find out, she's got a gun. So, mm. did she just pick it? Was it in the bag, the, the clutch bag she just picked up? So Carl is um, just calling him Rick, which hey, suggests Rick. Mm-hmm. he's a German himself yeah. who's on the run. So obviously Rick's bar's been closed down now. He's, he's, he's just trying to work out how long he can stay closed. Whilst paying all his stuff. Yeah. And like you say, you know, he, he's got a good relationship with his staff and he cares for his staff. Yeah. They're his family. You know, Sasha and Carl and, and, and Sam. And even um, you know, Yvonne is... Uh, clientele yeah he's got such a good relationship with. he has look at the lighting with the the, the sash blinds and casting lines everywhere it's phenomenal you don't you know I just don't think you get that sort of attention to shadows when you're filming a colour film no I think that's the thing that makes you know black and white so black, beautiful they, they were never going to avoid the transition into colour quite rightly you know just as film, you know, progressed then into the fifties into cinemascope widescreen and all the different, um, you know, vista vision and all of that. And yet, at the same time, color was introduced in the mid thirties. Yeah. And didn't become the problem prominent uh, process until the sixties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because it was, you know, it was more expensive. But but also because you could do more with black and white, I think. Yeah, you you had you had the, the three stripped uh, Technicolor process, which you know. The, that didn't just involve pointing a camera, you know. That you you then had to you know properly develop, and it, it wasn't just as as quick and easy a method as black and white photography was back then. You know, when you have decades of having the one way of filming as the norm, then to to move over, it's always going to be costly. And of course, studios are going to be, especially in wartime, and then you know in, in the you know times of austerity that that followed, then you you are going to have you know a sort of resistance to embrace. New technology. And it paints a whole 
history for us as well. When yeah. um, Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List, they asked him why he made it in black and white. He said, because for me, the World War Two was in, in black, black and white. white. Absolutely, it was. I'm going to die in Casablanca. It's a good spot for it. He is so cynical. He is. Yeah. But only because of what she's done to him. And now she she, the she's got the gun. But there's no way that she was ever going to shoot him. He knows that. We know that. Yeah. And he walks, you know, he, he goads her into pulling the trigger because he. Yeah, there's no hesitation. He just. Uh, Does he, he think smiles. that. Is he doing it out of a sort of. He's just willing to to die now because he's been hurt so much, or does he actually just think that no, she won't do it? I don't think she she would do it. Yeah. I think uh, he doesn't. But that's how low he is. Go yeah. ahead, shoot. You'll be doing, you'll be doing me a, me a favor. favor because you've. And this is the turning point now. I think yeah. that yeah, I Richard, I tried to stay away. I thought you, would, I'd never see you again. But then it's sort of just rekindling all those old feelings that they had. And she she loves him as well. Of course she does. Absolutely. And he is the but exact opposite to um, Victor. He is, yeah. He, he's, he's rugged. He's uh, He drinks. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a template for Han Solo. He is, yes. Whereas um, Victor Laszlo is he's, you know, upright he's, and star. You know, he's, he's a hero. Yeah. He represents goodness. He represents um, the fight against the Nazis. Okay, let's time this kiss now. See, we've got to dissolve before the kiss is uh, and then we've deemed got the as a breach. Watch will I? Yeah, the... Sauron. Yeah, always watching that that spotlight. Yeah. And this is, uh, I think, from now on, she is torn between the two men. Yes. She has been all along. She is, yeah, yeah. But from now on, she's admitted it to herself. Yeah. You know, things like this would have gone on. You know, my my own grandfather, um, his his brother, because you know, Victor Laszlo was from Czechoslovakia. My own grandfather uh, was from Eastern Europe, and he had a younger brother who um, was lost in the concentration camps, and they never found out what happened to him. Oh, no. And that all, you know, that always yeah. haunted my grandfather. So it, you know, the fact that when he'd gone to that concentration camp, she pretty much been justified and given up hope for him mm. you know it, it wasn't it wasn't just when the Americans you know liberated or, or sorry say the Americans the Allies liberated places like Auschwitz that it was all uncovered the people in Europe at the time knew that you know Jews were being carted off wholesale not it wasn't you know it wasn't just Jews but they'd been carted off mm. wholesale taken to these internment camps and never seen again so there must have been a you know an inkling of what was going on and you, you don't, it, it you was don't, also you, allies who were in these concentration yeah. camps. Um, a neighbour of mine for many, many years, He, if you spoke to him, he said, would have told you he hated the Italians mm -hmm. because he was caught by the Italians in World War II yeah. and he was in a concentration camp. Yeah. Do you think it's um, time we just start discussing the um, the ending? Yes, because because this is leading up to it now. It is. It? it is. You know, we're, we're still now. We're well, j just short of twenty minutes from the end. But 
It's at this point now, I think where Rick is sat here with Elsa, that he is working out the plan that he is now gonna yeah. he's gonna put into into motion. The fact that she tells him, I, I don't know what to think. You've got to think for us both, for all of us, yeah. and that's what he does. Because as much as he's a cynic, as much as he's out for himself, he knows that Victor Laszlo has to survive for the resistance to survive. Because if Rick doesn't do his part and allows people like Victor to die, then, you know. But at the same time, he's. The Nazis are going to win the war. He does, that's right. But it's at that point he realizes that. Like he says, you know, the, the problems of a few people don't amount to anything in a yeah, in a place like you know a, yeah. a place or a situation or a time like they're in. It it doesn't matter. Whereas you know, out of wartime, it, it would have far more importance to, to to him. But he knows that he has to make the sacrifice. Yeah. So I think at this point onwards, he does lull Hilsa into thinking that he is now going to make the right decisions for them. Yeah. And to get them out of Casablanca. But at the same time, Ilsa doesn't realise she's still torn between the two of them. Yes, she is, yeah. And when um, Carl comes upstairs now, he will be the first person outside the little um, love triangle to actually realise that there is something going on. Yeah, when he sees her. And uh, if you look, there's a beautiful shot with her in the, uh, the mirror. mirror. And that's her two sides. That is, is, yeah. that is Victor and that is Rick. You know, when you think of you know some of the greatest looking films, the films like Citizen Kane, Lawrence of Arabia, films where you know every frame of them look like they're just a work of art that you could hang on a wall. But then it, there's so much. But whilst there's no wild technical flourishes in this film, it it's still you you wouldn't change anything. There's there's a few process shots which don't look great. There's the shot early on in the film of the plane landing. Mm. But again, you know, this was a film that was made. It was made for nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which you know it was a, at the time it would have just been a medium budget film. Warner Brothers were knocking out, you know, several films a month. You know, they they would make. On average, fifty films a year around about this time, and Casablanca was just a, another one of you know it was the Warner Brothers film of, of the tail end of nineteen forty two amongst several others, and they weren't taking it that seriously. No, they even Ingrid Bergman didn't think that yeah. um, it was going to be yeah. remembered. He doesn't. Paul Heinrich here just doesn't look like he's making eye contact with Rick. Now, in, in the over-the-shoulder shot where we can see Rick, it looks like he's looking at him. Yeah. But when we've got the over-the-shoulder shot looking at it from Rick's point of view, it never looks like he's maintaining eye contact with him. Can you see that? Yeah. It looks as if he's almost looking at the top of Rick's head. Maybe that's what his maybe, script Maybe was. that's where his cue card <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Again, I don't want to knock... Here they come to arrest him. Uh, I think he says Captain Renault seems like destiny has taken a hand. I don't think Captain Renault knows the reason yet that he's going to put on his uh, the report. That's right. Now it's at this point here that Rick looks like he looks like he's going to betray them. Yeah, he looks borderline evil, like as if he's relishing in the fact now that his his 
competitor in love has been taken away and arrested. What makes you think I'd stick my neck out for him? I'm not even going to try it, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, no, no, I, I'm probably going <laughs> to. I'll probably listen back to this later and think, "Oh, I wish I, I wish I could edit that out." <laughs> I do apologise for to our listeners if there are moments of, of silence in this. Obviously, we're recording there, uh, you know, whilst we play the film um, in the background. I'm not going to be able to edit round this, so um, you know, if we do ramble on or, or, or say things which are wrong, then no, I, I do apologise. But if you've seen this film, you will know exactly why. And you don't even have to watch it. You know, if you're familiar with Casablanca, then you know you, you don't have to put the film on. It's an option. But you know, we were. I think we came up with the idea for an audio commentary. Do you remember when when we were first discussing the podcast what the first audio commentary film we um, we we considered was? <laughs> Can you remember? Commando. Commando. <laughs> oh wow, well, a million miles away from Casablanca, but yeah, we were. But that would have been fun. Yeah, but we were in the early stages. Uh, but back in 2017 of planning the podcast which didn't end up you know coming to fruition until uh, January this year 2018 we actually did discuss what can we do as our first audio commentary I don't even know where did where did Commando come from can you imagine like an hour and a half of sitting through Commando uh, compared to an hour and 42 minutes of, of, of Casablanca they're going to be completely different films oh, I think you need a lot of drinks I think yeah maybe we should maybe we should drink if we ever do that one or yeah, get a few more of us, get the drinks going. I can't imagine there's going to be much intelligent discussing. <laughs> no. You were never interested in any woman. What he means there, I just think you were never interested in any particular woman. It was just enough to to do anything for her. That's right. Yes, you would take her home. Because again, and then the next morning like, he would just leave her. You watch the way Renault's character sort of melts. He he, it's like as if now he's sussed Rick out, and he's no longer studying him in, as intently as in working out the person he is. He's like, no, th- this man is a man in love, and I think he, you know, he knows he's the only other person other than Rick that knows Rick's plan. And then the second scene in the film with uh, Humphrey Bogart wearing a hat. Uh, and once again he's in uh, the blue parrot yeah it seems to be a place for hats yes and uh, Ferrari is once again wearing his fez well it was the gentleman you conduct back then if you were out and about you know a man in a suit would wear a hat mm-hmm. and you can say you can tell that his, his plan is well and truly being uh, is well and truly unfolding now because he's just Handed over the keys to, to Ricks to yes his biggest competitor. I know, and he said that you know Sam gets twenty five percent of the, the profits. So even then, he's still looking after his staff, isn't yeah. he? When he's he's relinquishing control of his club. You get the feeling though that Sam would actually, leave the club and go off with him everywhere. Oh yeah, of course he would, absolutely. Now, there's one thing about this film which we haven't addressed yet, which is quite surprising for the time, but there's a distinct lack of racism. There is, and you think at one point he refers to Sam as a that boy, doesn't he? Uh, no, um, Ilsa does. Ilsa does, yes. sorry, yeah. So there is, yeah, there is a reference to Sam as, as that boy, which 
you know, for a young girl to be referring to a much older man as boy is very condescending. Yes, but at the yeah. time, obviously, that was, you know, a, a common thing to refer to a, a black person as a boy, as a because it was just a, an inherent lack of respect born out of just a, a culture of racism. But at the same time, you know that Sam is not just another employee. Oh, of course he's not. They he's, are best friends. He's family, isn't he? He's, yes. He, he's, he's someone that Rick, you know, loves and cares for. But again, there's so much contradiction in Rick near the line, I'll stick my neck up for nobody. But that's not true. No. Clearly not true at all. And earlier on, he said that the um, regarding Sam, he says that um, I don't put a price on anyone. Mm-hmm. And yet, there it is. It looks like he might be selling out Victor now. Yeah. Earlier on, I said about um, Ilsa being instinctive. As soon as Laszlo is under, th- under yeah, she threat, goes to his side. She goes to yeah, him that's her default thing. Yeah, which is she's, why she's left Rick now. Yeah, she's looking over Louis' shoulder to Rick now. She 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 needs to to protect them both. But and here we go. We still don't ultimately know what Rick's plan is. No. The story of the ending uh, is that they didn't know who was going with whom, but yeah. Uh, I don't think that's... It's not as easy as that because in the original play, um, Ilsa goes off with Victor and there was no way the censors was going to allow her to go off, leave her husband to go off with another man. No, absolutely not. I'm pointing this gun that you have. That is my least vulnerable spot in another classic, classic line from uh, Claude Rains. And he's supposed to be phoning the airport and if he doesn't, he phones Strasser. Major Strasser. Again, that's throwing the audience to think that Louis is double-crossing them. Is he double-crossing them at that point? Is he unsure? Or is he just thinking, we need to get rid of Strasser and this might work? But No, why, I, I think what, that he's just acting on instinct. He, you know, the gun was just drawn on him. What do I do? Because or, what, you know, how is Louis to know that Strasser will panicking. turn up on his own? Because it would make sense that Strasser's going to turn up with his men if he's going to be affecting the arrest of, of, of Rick and of, of Victor. He's not going to come on his own. I suppose you could argue that's one little point. That does, that does that really make sense? Why would Strasser come on his own there? Well, it's, a, it's another screen right It there. is, and again, yeah, it you know this, got, this is a film that's written by you know there were you know at least five major writers and then several others who were you know brought in for numerous rewrite rewrites of the film. You know, Steve, you said I think with twenty minutes to go, you said let's start talking about the end, but the end has come so quickly, hasn't it? It has. You know, we're now, what are we, six, seven minutes from the end, and it's just it's rolling along at such a pace. And if you want to talk about inconsistencies, there they are in Casablanca, a dry, arid country which never sees fog. And it's raining. And it's raining and yes, foggy. Yes, that's right. But the reason the, the fog is there is simply because it was filmed in the back lot of yeah, the and they wanted to cut, on a stage. Yeah, and cut the background and, down, yeah. and so it didn't look as if it was such a confined space. And here and we go. I wonder if they knew that they were going to write something so iconic. Did they realise that they were writing what could be argued is one of the greatest scenes in all of them? Look at the camera moves and the editing. It, it, it's just... Maybe the way she goes maybe to talk and he cuts her off with... Yeah. It's perfect. It's, 
It's a perfect scene. We'll always have Paris. We didn't have. We lost it until we came to Casablanca. It's, it's incredible. Reflect, f- reflecting what she said earlier on. Yeah. And you never will. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? She'll never leave him. And he's given her up. He knows there's a chance he'll never see her again. Yeah, but he, he means, I think he means, doesn't he? He's the fact changed. That and she will always have a... Yeah. He's tried to throw her away. He's tried to close that part of the, uh, his life you know, yeah. to her. And now he's opening it all up to her. Yeah. And here, here we go. You, Here's looking at you, kid. It's just yeah. a line that I think if you break it down too much, it doesn't really make sense. But because it's so iconic, you instantly know what it's referring to, and yeah. who speaks the you know the line, and it, 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 it's a line that is just intrinsically linked to this final scene in this film. Well, it's said that the line came from um, when. Uh, Bogard was teaching Ingrid Bergman to play poker. Yeah. And um, he could tell her her little tells. So he used to say he was looking at you, kid. Ah, right. And so she was, uh, uh, you know, trying to take, uh, I, I know what yeah. you're doing. I but know what hand you've got. In the, in the context um, of the film, it's just uh, yeah. a line that he says Halby to Wallace yeah. says, we're going to use that. I yeah. like that line. Again, which is more evidence of the fact that Halby Wallace was the main creative force behind this yes. film. But again... I, I wouldn't want to take away from Michael Cattiz because obviously oh, no. we've seen some of his other films and as much as... It's a, it's it, a perfect studio picture. It is. Like like The it's Adventures of Robin Hood was yeah. a few years before. It's not an auteur film. No, it's, it's not. It's a studio film. No, Michael... The genius of the system. Yeah, Michael Cattiz hasn't got a very specific style. But at the same time, he is the perfect sort of director for this film. Now in the background up until this point, we've seen the um, plane... And of course, that was made out of cardboard. Yeah. And um, because it looked, well, it didn't look real. Mm. They put little people yeah, walk they, around they, yeah, it in overalls right. to make it look like a yeah. much bigger plane than he was. And there you go. That's magic. They walk off, it? and he's. And that's, that's the last time you probably see never him. see her again. But, but that look, she. Ah. Mm. Oh. Her heart is breaking. It is. See, you are a sentimentalist. <laughs> Everybody Louis, knows. Louis, yeah, Louis impressed, yeah. isn't he? He loves it. Victor I think he, knows. He, he admires the fact that he's been du- duplicitous. He's played a very cunning game, which is what you know Louis does. But now Louis, he's showing his hand now, yeah. isn't he? He's showing his cards and no, oh, you know, I'm the, I'm the same as you, Rick, as we're about to find out. Mm. This is I. Yeah, Strasser turning up on his own is just a little bit too convenient. But then you could argue. But then there's there's going to be soldiers. Maybe and you could there. argue that he, he, yeah, he didn't have time to you know no. rally his men together. And nor would he think that anyone would dare to shoot him. And this is the part where they had the most problem with the writing. How do you resolve this? Exactly. Who shot well, first? Yeah. It's, it's Han Solo again. Han Solo. We, we, we meet Han Solo in a bar as a as a character that's willing to do anything that's looking out for himself. He slowly sort of melts away into, you know, later on in the film, someone who, you know, is less of a cold-blooded son of a bitch. Oh, and then perfectly book-ending the use of that line early on in the film. Yes. Well, it was one of the first lines in the film, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Round up the usual suspects, which is obviously... Why Brian Singer in 1995 then, you know, 
named that film after a line from one of the most iconic films ever made. Then you've got Vichy Water, which was a, a sparkling water. He pours himself a glass and, and then realizes that uh, yeah. what's on the label and the fact that it represents the Vichy government, for which yeah, so this is this is the moment that he's realizing. I'm, yeah. I'm turning. Yes. Any other film where you know the guy doesn't get the girl and it, it would just end there, but you've got this little bit of a coda at the end you, where you needed something. Yeah, with a what was one of the original lines? It was something like, "I knew you'd mix um, romance with larceny." Yes. Now that the actual final film of this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. As they walking off, that was there was no dialogue, and that was actually dubbed over later on. Yes. But they, and there was a couple of. Uh, Lines which they did try, but then before they chose the perfect line. Yeah. I think it's the beginning of a beautiful it's friendship. It's a perfect ending. And then La Marseillaise. Yeah. And going back to the beginning of the film again, it was set five days before Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. You get the feeling that they wake up the next morning and find out yeah. what's happened. Exactly. Wow, so there you have it, folks. Casablanca. Steve, usually when we're talking about a film, uh, we, we'll, we'll give a, a, a film 89 verdict, give it, give it a score out of 10. Do I even need to ask? Well, I would go down the um, spinal tap route Yeah. and say I'll give it an 11. Yeah. Like I say, you know, you, you could pick flaws with any film, but I think if I was going to write a list, not so much of maybe my favourite films, but if I was going to put, say, the, the 10 most important films or the, or the, the films that... If you're going to pick you know, a list of films to be preserved for all time, this I, I would have to yes. put Casablanca in there. Casablanca, Citizen Kane, The Searchers, Star Wars, Seven Samurai. They're films that I think you... you know, they When I think of Jaws, when I, when I think oh, of yes. the word movie, Jaws springs to mind. Another one of those films is Casablanca. It's just indicative of a certain time, a certain period. It's amazing that the film... You know, like we've said, it wasn't planned to be this big sort of sweeping epic. And if you look at the film, it is actually quite contained, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, one of the best films ever. Maybe we hope you, you've enjoyed the discussion. We have. It, it is. Yeah, this is our first audio commentary. We you know we decided to do it as a commentary when um, we we were prepping for the episode, which was you know I think it was a few months ago. And we, we've had to put it off for, for various reasons. I think this would have been maybe episode four, but because of uh, scheduling issues and some pretty bad weather, it was. Yes, we yeah, had some we snow a few. A few uh, weeks back, which you know put put the, the stopper to it. So yeah, we we may do audio commentaries again, but this was like the sort of perfect film. I think that when you're watching it, you don't want to miss anything out. No. And you know, I I've enjoyed it. I've actually learned new things about the film, which I, I thought I'd learned everything I reasonably could about Casablanca. So you know, we we hope you've all enjoyed it. Please you know follow us all on Twitter at film eighty nine UK and also on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Sky Movies, and I'm also on Facebook. If you want to get hold of me, it's best to hit me up on Twitter, and also um, on our website, film89.co.uk, where you'll also find Steve. And we're always churning out what we hope you think is quality film and TV related articles. And you know, big shout out to the the rest of the crew: Neil Gaskin, Richie Roberts, and Hayden Spirell. And Steve, where can they find you? On Twitter is the best place um, at Welsh Bluesman. Where I'm always uh, either posting my own stuff or uh, reposting, retweeting uh, everything from Film Eighty Nine to. Well, and uh, you, you've changed your, your name at the moment, haven't you? It's still at Welsh Bluesman, but isn't it Steve? 
a Star Wars story. A Steve's a Star Wars story. Fantastic. Yeah. Last yeah. week it was a ca- Attack of the Killer Steve. Brilliant. So, um, okay, so uh, we're going to wrap this one to a close now. We hope we hope you've enjoyed it, and um, we'll see you guys soon. Stay classy. <laughs>